1: Hello and welcome to All Stats, Aren't We? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the cold Wednesday night in Leeds of the podcast, but can we do it? And I'm joined by the majestic Elland Road floodlights of the podcast, Tom Alderson. Insert some joke here about being a bright young thing. And finally, (laughs) the set-piece training routine of the podcast. Tear it all up and start again from scratch. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? I'm alright, actually, yeah. I,
2: I, uh, I've recovered from my sulk on Saturday, which seemed to last more or less all day, uh, and I'm actually feeling quite optimistic about tomorrow for various reasons, which we'll no doubt get
1: into as the podcast goes on, but all good. Thanks, John, yeah. And Tom Alderson, are you feeling optimistic about tomorrow?
3: Yeah, I am, actually. Um, I'm, just, I'm also looking forward to breaking down a very tactically exciting Newcastle team <laughs> <laughs> so that'll help cheer everyone up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, before we break down a very interesting Newcastle side, let's break down a very tactically interesting Leeds United from set pieces side. So let's talk a little bit about the comments that Marcelo Bielsa made. Was it yesterday? I guess it was yesterday. Um, About the way that Leeds United are going to defend set pieces going forward. So let me just find the tweet where Phil Hay talked about what Bielsa said in the press conference. So, um, Phil Hay said on set pieces, Bielsa said there are a couple of issues, namely that Leeds have conceded to some of the best headers in the premier league, like Zuma Van Dyke. And also that Bielsa is without the likes of Robin Koch, who could provide more aerial strength. Um, I guess we just ign- ignore the fact that Van Dyke scored against Robin Koch in, in that one. But, um, we obviously we are missing, missing Koch, um, And then he also said that Leeds are susceptible to teams blocking their runs slash movement as they try to defend set-pieces. But he doesn't want his players to do the same in reverse. Quote, respecting the rules is not being naive, end quote, which is very cryptic. So Darren, what do you make of Marcelo Bielsa on the phenomenon of set-pieces?
2: Well, this is is one of the rare occasions when I think I can quite safely say that I couldn't disagree with him more about the, <laughs> about this issue, and I also think I'm fairly safe in saying that because I think it's one of the few times I could publicly disagree with Bielsa and not get a massive backlash from <laughs> from, from <laughs> the Leeds fans. It's difficult because because I w- I want to say you know isn't, isn't that a kind of lovely um, principled approach to things and uh, and and everything, but but the end result is that we end up conceding to Soft goals, really, against West Ham, and, and across the course of the season, we've conceded the most goals from set pieces of of any team. Um, so, you know, I think basically what I would be advocating for is a mild mutiny by the players, and to make sure that they're they're doing what they need to do to keep the ball out of the net, irrespective of what of what the instructions are. I wouldn't recommend that in any other uh, environment. Um, I, I think in term, I think the, the the real issue that we are facing, and I, I think you highlighted this well on the, on the um, on the West Ham review video, John, is that, that, you know, whether, whether we decide to play with a, with a zonal marking system, which we all know isn't going to happen, or whether we continue with the, the, the man-to-man marking against a lot of teams in the Premier League, we are seriously lacking in height. Um, and I've just had a look at the heights of some of our players, um, and basically, a lot of them are around the six-foot mark. So Dallas is around six-foot, Aylin's just under six-foot one, Cooper's six-foot one. Uh, and I think that when, when when you've got good delivery and you've got tall opposition who, who make good runs and block off intelligently, then you, you're going to concede chances if, if you don't do something different in order to to, uh, to kind of manage that situation. So I, th- I think it's, it's, it's a real, real concern and a real worry. But I think Bielsa will be looking at it from the point of view that over the course of a season, it will balance itself out. I think that's the kind of approach that he'll, he'll be kind of looking at it from. But what do you think, John? There's a
1: few different things I would say. One of them is that I don't actually. I think people are overblowing this for sure, off the back of two results. And yeah. I think this is the sort of thing that has happened periodically through Marcelo Bielsa's time as manager. Something happens, and we take a uh, smallish sample size, and then we extrapolate that to everything is doom and gloom. Um, yeah. I think you know, looking back through the West Ham set pieces and looking back through the chelsea set pieces the chelsea set piece performance was absolutely abject um yeah. we looked like we were conceding every time there was a, a set piece the west ham performance i didn't think was that bad and i would also add the caveat if you look through the west ham set pieces and you try and speculate what it would have looked like if we were using a zonal system yeah, I'm not necessarily sure that that much will change. And I, I, you mentioned this, the height of players. And I think that's I think that's instructive because I think, you know, even in a zonal system, does Suchek versus Dallas end up with a with a mismatch? Yes. And the difference is is always going to be zonal systems. For me, the, the, the important thing is it's all to do with momentum. Yeah. Because because you're proactive, you're marking your zone and you're moving. You're you're standing in the back of your zone and moving into your zone. So so the idea yeah. is that you would have th- probably three uh, defend three of your best headers on a line on the six yard box, um, spread out. And if the ball is going to land between you and the person in front of you, then you go forward towards the ball and attack it. Um, and we saw it happen actually against West Ham because we do actually have two zonal players. We have Rafinha we on the front post and Pat Bamford on the edge of the six-yard box on the front corner by the, the the near side of the of the corner, the side that the corner's being taken on. And Rafinha got a good header in for one of the corners, just attacked the ball and and put it out. That's that's what's important. Um, that's the important aspect of, of zonal marking. But at the same time, you know, there's certain there's certain situations where zonal marking doesn't work and it doesn't get blamed be, blamed for its inefficiencies as a system. And uh, I think, you know, in the, the the um the second goal, the Ogbonna goal, the first goal was the Suchet goal. And I think, you know, potentially if we'd have had a zonal marking system you'd have had someone yeah. there attacking the ball but it was still quite deep in the box it was quite far back so I think probably what would have happened is Suchek would have been man-marked anyway and would have had a marker with him around the back and he would have been the player hitting the ball anyway so I don't think zonal marking saves you there necessarily depending on where your where where your free zonal markers are standing. Uh, The second one I just thought you know actually Liam Cooper does attack that as though he is zonally marking Um, he does he is at the back post with Ogbonna, but he gets in front of him goes for the ball and manages to miss it and Ogbonna puts it in i don't think that is going to be ameliorated to use a word um <laughs> by having by having a zonal system so I, I guess my take is is a little bit more i, I don't know, i i think we had a question from um from Dean Dinu Fifty Shades of Ray on Twitter, he said. Um, quick question: I've been thinking about regarding our man marking on at set pieces. Have we always done it? I can't remember it being an issue before. I know Mr. Bielsa does subtle tweaks, tweaks to the team throughout the season, and that's kind of my take on it. Is that you know we've done we've we've done this the whole time with Bielsa, and yes, we are in a different division. Uh, we are playing against elite headers of the ball and elite attacking players. But at the same time like we've not been talking about how bad we are from set pieces really at least in the defensive side until the last two games and no. and so I think you sort of have to take a midpoint between not really caring about it and being overly concerned I, I think there have been three games
2: this season where I've been really concerned about set pieces and they were the last two in the Liverpool one uh, and that's be- that, that is because of um, the, the the you know a lot of big players who who block off really well get get you know, get themselves in good positions and good delivery. I think, other than that, it's it's not as much of an issue. I agree as as, as it's kind of been blown up into. I think that the fact that we're coming up against Newcastle, who you know, as, as Tom said in the last podcast, are not necessarily great from set pieces, but have got a lot of big players. Um, I think I think that's why it feels like more of a pressing concern at the moment.
1: Yeah, let's bring you in, Tom. I realise we've we've been having a conversation between us. What's your take on all of this?
3: The second point Bielsa made in this press conference, so like about if players move in the box, the opposition move in the box, um, that causes problems. That's a really concerning thing for me because he's basically saying, if they move, we're in trouble, which really should not be a thing. <laughs> and I think we saw against Liverpool, they w- were really good at this, so just like scrambling in the box uh, to cause us problems. And I think Chelsea a couple of times, did they line, sort of line up one behind the other and yeah. then like dart off one way and the other. And that also causes problems. So if teams look at that and say, see that we're going to struggle from that then we are definitely going to have set piece problems um, throughout the season. Um, the thing that also I kind of find interesting about the set pieces is like the role Mellier has because you see a lot of keepers sort of come in sort of be very proactive sort of like try and get a hand to it um, but Mellier for me he always tends to stay on his line now I wonder if that's because he's not confident coming out, because I reckon he he probably could do it, I think he could catch it quite well Um, so I wonder if it's Bielsa telling Melier to stay on his line Um, and I think that relies on Melier being really, like, almost perfect when having to try and make saves Um, and I think maybe, I don't know, a more proactive role for him could help, it might also it might almost be like adding an extra free man, um, which a lot of people have been calling for, I don't know again, that's one of those, I don't know if it's the right situation, because I think people are just trying to go back to the Gary Monk situation where we had Pontus Jansen and Kyle Bartley and Chris Wood who are all six foot four and great heads of the ball. So I don't I don't think that's the solution, but I think maybe something from Mellier could potentially help us improve.
2: Yeah, I mean I mean I, I think I think Mellier's decision making around when to come and try to get a corner and when to leave it is actually pretty good. I think I think in terms of the, the first goal for, for example against West Ham, um he he did try and come but but what tends to happen is that, that a lot of our opposition players run towards either the middle of the goal or the front post and try and get someone free on the back and we we see that happen uh, with with both the west ham goals with um the disallowed van dijk goal and the first van dijk goal against liverpool um, so I think in that situation, that's not the sort of ball I, I think a keeper can come and, come and attack, because I, I think that what we saw against West Ham is that he actually tried to come, got under it, and it was actually trying to come, which which created the problem for his footwork, um, which, which led to the goal
1: just another thing i just wanted to clarify as well is that when we talk about man marking from corners it's different from what we mean by man marking in open play yeah um, i don't know whether or not people realize this but the the man marking system for corners is different to the man marking system from open play and this is one reason why one of the questions i hear a lot is why don't we use um bamford as a as a man marker in in set piece situations and i think that that comes down to the fact that in in a Post set piece situation. So, say you've headed the ball out, you still have to keep your man markers to a certain extent. And I yeah. don't think that Bielsa wants Bamford to be still man marking during um, during those sorts of situation. He would rather be in a situation where Bamford is then free to to push forward back into a more attacking role. Um, yeah. He wants Bamford obviously to be pressing from the front. If Bamford is marking one of their best players then it you know it could be that he's on a striker or, or or he may be on a defender who will be staying up for the for the, the ball to go back in and Bielsa wants him to the freedom to be able to get out and and then um, contribute to pressing from the front so that's just one thing that I would add that I think sometimes we miss that the different different players take up because obviously when you're marking from a corner you want your the, the opposition's strongest players will probably be F- f- heading will probably be their centre backs, and so obviously we don't man mark centre backs anyway. So it would be you would you would need to change things up anyway. But I mean, yeah. for example, against West Ham, um, Liam Cooper was was man marking um, Gabriel Bonner and um, Calvin Phillips was marking um, um, who's the other Balbuena, yeah, um, yeah, as well. The other thing is is that actually Pat, Pat Bamford is probably one of our best headers of the ball, as is according to the stats anyway, Rafinha across his career is a much better header of the ball. So Bielsa clearly likes to have his best headers of the ball to be zonal as well. Um, Because if you can clear the ball from the front post, then I guess you solve a lot of problems.
2: But then there's an argument for moving one of the, because we, we we basically play with um, two, two zonal players around the area of the front post, don't we? So I think there is probably an argument for moving one of them to the back, to the back post to do that same job. Um, Mm because i think that that would give us that little bit of extra cover in case someone like suchek gets a run run on dallas and i think that was the problem with the first goal is that, that suchek got it. Got got behind Dallas and and he didn't react react to it quickly enough. I think you can look at you know there's that thing about accountability, isn't there? With with a man marking system, you can say, well, that that was your man and he got away from you, and it was this mm. movement which caused it, which I think is one of the advantages of it. Um, but but I yeah maybe moving one of the zonal players to the back post might make us a bit more vulnerable to a, an in swinger right to the front post. I I admit that. But but mm. with all with all marking systems come advantages and come disadvantages don't they so you, you get everything you change to try and solve one problem you're going to leave yourself some vulnerable somewhere else and I think that's one of the things that sometimes we we, we don't tend to think about in football systems we think mm-hmm. that, that that there are magic bullets and that there really aren't because ev- everything comes with with pros and cons. With Rafinha though like he's in that fr- I think he's
3: in that front post area so we, we've got pace on the counter-attack because if like if the ball goes over his head that he's in theory he's free to go um yeah but Maybe someone else can be in that role if if Rafinha is as good as head of ball as the stats suggest that he is. I'm not. I'm still to be convinced on that from actually <laughs> watching him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Fair surely enough. someone else can. Like we don't have that much threat on the counter attack anyway. So maybe we could sacrifice that even because that's rubbish anyway. To have Rafinha in there and someone else could fill that role like Cost or whoever the other winger is at the time mm. uh, could do, could do that role maybe.
1: Jack Harrison has done that quite a bit, actually. Um, yeah. That front post, that front post role. Um, the other thing I would say as well is the is the I, I guess it's a bit of a cliché thing to say, but it, it is a lot easier to deconstruct the problems of a man marking system from set pieces than a zonal marking system from set pieces. I mean, for example, in the again, yes, from from Friday night, the um, the, the Ogbonna goal where Cooper attacks the ball and misses it. In a zonal marking system, if that happens, people will then will then not say, well, this is an issue with the zonal marking system. What if your defender completely misses the ball? People will then put that down to an individual error and say, well, Cooper should have done better there. Whereas I think in a man marking system, the responsibility is is, is considered a lot tighter in that sense. You, it's, it's seen as a lot easier to, to blame in, in, um, the, the, the full system for any problems that are caused. So anyway, I think... Well, let's just uh, one more question to both of you. What do you think the solution to this is, Tom? What would you do? Would you change to a would you change to a zonal system? Would you would you make your system more hybrid? Would you include a couple of players on the edge of the the, the six yard box, or would you would you just say, well, suck it up? it's not that bad to be be blocking players' runs and uh, all teams in the Premier League are doing it, so we need to start doing that. Because, I I mean, even if you talk about blocking runs, it's not going to solve our problems because we're still getting blocked. Um, You can block blockers, but, you know, I still think that we're going to have problems caused even if we did that.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. I I think, personally, I would just stick with what we've got at the moment for a couple more games. Um, If it's then still a problem at the end of that time, then obviously we probably need to change something maybe a hybrid might be the way to go but I don't know enough about set pieces to say that but I think it has just been exaggerated by the fact that we've played the two best teams in the league at, um, sort of attacking or getting goals from set pieces so yeah personally I would I would just stick with it and then know, try something else I don't know what the solution is there's better, there's better minds than me that can figure that out but um, yeah just just stick with it for a while I reckon
2: How about you Darren? I'm afraid to say that I think in, in terms of the personnel that we've got and i think the personnel really is the issue uh, at the root of a root of everything because um i think that any any tweaks that you make to it may help a bit but basically you you know you'll be rearranging the deck chairs on the titanic i think i think that that this is always going to be a bit of an, a, an achilles heel for us and a bit of a vulnerability for us but i think over the course of a season it won't look like as much
1: of a vulnerability as it looks right now Well let's move on because as we record this the game is uh, tomorrow. Time is moving on so if we don't hurry up then people won't even get to listen to this podcast in time. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Newcastle. I was lucky enough to speak to JP Quinn yesterday about Newcastle and this is what he had to say. So JP hi how are you doing?
4: Hi John I'm good how are you?
1: Yeah I'm great it's great to have you on the show. Well let's talk about Newcastle because I think coming into this season a lot of people had them pipped as being relegation candidates but that's really not how it's turned out is it? So my question to you is, what happened?
4: I'm not really sure because it's been a funny season so far. We've been picking up results without really playing well, which is what we did for much of last season, although having someone up front to stick the ball in the net has
1: helped. So I guess the question is, do you think this form is sustainable for the rest of the season?
4: I don't really think it is sustainable. As I said, we've carried on from last season playing quite poorly, but managing to get results. I still feel we're somewhat fortunate to be as high as we are on the table. Stats over that period back up the feeling that we aren't really a good team. We're 12th at the moment, and I think realistically that's about as high as we can expect to be. We'd like to have higher ambitions, but the reality is we're a bottom half team right now.
1: What do you think it would take for you to drop off form-wise?
4: In terms of the form, it feels like there's always a bad run around the corner anyway because we can't maintain any level of performance. We always seem to have a few good games, then a few bad ones. I think an injury to Wilson would be a big problem, although Dwight Gale is fit again, and he offers a comparable alternative.
1: If you stay up in the Premier League playing this sort of football, do you think it will be a we've won, but at what cost scenario? Are you happy with your team playing this way?
4: Yeah, I think there is a bit of that. I don't think anyone's really enjoying watching us play, even when we win, and that is frustrating but it's not like we're challenging for the title playing like this. We're surviving, but we're still very mediocre. I think if we were really improving, then fans would be more tolerant to a lack of entertainment, but the feeling is that the way we play isn't really getting the most out of the players available.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the transfer window this summer. How pleased were you with the business that Newcastle did over the break?
4: I was pretty happy, actually. Uh, we don't really expect much in terms of transfers at Newcastle at the moment, so... To have a window where we just kind of did what was needed was quite pleasing. Jeff Hendrick on a free, I think fans are quite underwhelmed by him, but he does add depth to the squad, although I don't think he should start as often as he has. Jamal Lewis is a promising young player and would seem to be a long-term solution to the left-back problems that we've had, where every season we seem to be looking for a new left-back. However, he hasn't really impressed so far, which is a shame, but it's early days for him. I think there's potential, but I don't think he's the finished article yet. Ryan Fraser on a free was a bit of a no-brainer, really. Very impressive for Bournemouth a couple of seasons ago, and he adds pace to the team. Because of fitness problems, we haven't really seen that much of him yet, but he has looked promising when he has played. Callum Wilson for around £20 million was the key signing, really. We were crying out for a proper number nine. Initially, I was a bit disappointed that we didn't go for someone younger, like Ollie Watkins, maybe, but Wilson is exactly what we needed, and he's made a big difference already as someone who's mobile, Looks to stretch teams running behind and he'll sniff out a chance in the box. All of his goals have been either penalties or inside 10 yards and that's exactly what we were lacking. Overall, the squad is certainly stronger than it was last season.
1: Well, let's talk about the manager. How are you feeling about Steve Bruce at the moment?
4: I was very much of the opinion that he should never have got the job in the first place and I haven't really seen anything to suggest otherwise. When you look at the calibre of managers in the league at the moment... You, know, you have who at Southampton, Ancelotti at Everton, Bielsa at Leeds. We somehow had a Champions League winning manager in Rafa Benitez before Bruce. So even outside the top teams, there's so much talent. And I mean this with respect to Steve Bruce because he's had a long career in the game and he could certainly be doing worse, but I just don't think he's of the same calibre. And I think that holds us back. The results have been okay, but despite the improvements of the squad, we've seen very little progress in the performances. Having said that, It always comes back to the owner. We've got someone who doesn't really want to be there and doesn't have any ambition for the club beyond staying in the Premier League. So it almost feels like it doesn't really matter who the manager is.
1: Well, let's turn to the tactical side of things then. Tactically, where would you say Bruce's Newcastle are right now? What are the basic ideas behind his team?
4: I think the problem is that it's difficult to say where we are tactically. Bruce famously said that he doesn't really do tactics. And I think that shows... There are games where it works okay, and then there are other games where we look lost tactically without any real plan. The players don't really know what they're supposed to be doing.
1: There's a sense of structural flexibility with Newcastle this season. Bruce has used a back three and a back four, as well as a lone striker and a strike partnership. What logic determines the approaches he's going to take in a game? Do you think there's a system behind it at all?
4: I don't really think there's a system behind it. I think it's more a case of Bruce tinkering to find the best shape. Under Rafa we obviously played a very rigid style and since Bruce came in last summer he's talked about wanting to be more positive but then keeps coming back to the idea that we aren't really capable of changing like we're kind of set in our ways so he's flitted between the back four and back five. We've played our best football with the back four but we've also looked more open at times and Bruce has tended to fall back to the back five especially against better opposition. I think he prefers to have two strikers if he can but hasn't always been able to. I think it's mostly a case of trying to fit our best attacking players in the team, the likes of Sam Maximan, Almiron, and Fraser, and still keep the balance.
1: So, what approach do you think he's going to use against Leeds?
4: We have seen more of a 4-4-2 slash 4-2-3-1 in the last two games against Palace and West Brom. And we won both of those games, even if the performances weren't great. We were missing four of our back five against West Brom due to COVID. And Hayden ended up playing centre-back, so we didn't really have much choice there. I think we might see the 4-4-2 continue against Leeds. There were also some signs that Wilson and Joe Linton could form a good partnership. Wilson is the classic portrait type number nine that we were missing, while Joel Linton, who played most of last season as a nine, actually wants to be more of a number 10. So Wilson looks to stretch the play running behind, whereas Joel Linton wants to drop deeper, get the ball and link things from there. So I think Bruce might stick with that front two.
1: Leeds have struggled against teams who sit deeper and don't really have a structured press. Do you think this will mean that they struggle against Newcastle?
4: Yeah, I think that could be the case. If Leeds are good at creating a chaotic end-to-end sort of game, then we're pretty good at making sure that doesn't happen. So I think they might find it frustrating. Newcastle are probably the least pressing team in the league, so Leeds can expect to have a lot of the ball. It's then about what they do with it. I think the key will probably be whether we can deal with Leeds pressing and whether we can expose the gaps they might leave against Southampton, who may be comparable in style. Bruce said that we had planned for playing through their press, but we clearly weren't good enough to do so. If Leeds can press effectively, then typically that causes us problems, so it might make sense to go a bit more direct here.
1: It seems as though Newcastle create a lot of goals through individual moments rather than structured attacking play. Would you say that's fair, and does it worry you?
4: Yeah, I think that is fair. There isn't a lot of structure to the attack, and that is a worry, particularly when Sam Maxima plays tends to be a case of giving him the ball and hoping for a moment of magic. When he wasn't playing last season, we struggled, but Wilson has given us more of a focal point this year.
1: How are you looking injury-wise at the moment? I know that you've had a huge issue with COVID with a lot of players out recently. So what's the situation looking like now?
4: Honestly, I'm not sure who's available and who isn't for Wednesday because of the COVID situation. Obviously, we had to postpone a game with Aston Villa and then at the weekend we were still missing a load of players in the club have been quite reluctant to say who has tested positive. Um, I expect some of the defence might be back for this game, but the preparation hasn't been ideal.
1: So how do you think you'll line up on Wednesday then?
4: Again, it's difficult to say how we'll line up, but given we have another game at the weekend, I expect a couple of changes probably. I think Fernandez or one of the other main centre-backs will come in and Hayden will probably go into midfield alongside Shelby or Sean Longstaff think joe linton will probably play in behind wilson again with Almer on, on one of the wings jeff hendrick and jacob murphy were on the bench against west Brom, so they might get a start this time
1: one of the questions that i like to ask all our guests is which of your players needs to play well if you are to beat leeds united
4: well usually our goalkeeper is quite busy so dalo will probably need to have another good game wilson is our key player though really and If we are able to get through Leeds press, then he has the pace to exploit the space in behind. If we can get him into some dangerous positions, then we might have some joy. If Shelby's playing, then he could be the one to find the killer pass, but he might struggle with the intensity of the game.
1: And I never ask our guests for predictions, because I feel as though anything can happen in a game of football. But one of the things I do ask is, how do you see the ebb and flow of the game on Wednesday? How do you think the game is going to unfold?
4: I expect the game will probably be similar to most Newcastle games. We let the opposition have most of the ball, invite them on and see if we can hit them on the counter. We know Leeds games can see goals at both ends, but I wouldn't expect this to be a thriller. It could be frustrating at times for Leeds, but I think their intensity might cause us more problems than most, and they are rightly favourites.
1: So that was JP Quinn, a data analyst and Newcastle United fan, and you can follow him at AttackingCB on Twitter. So that was JP Quinn, a data analyst and Newcastle fan. Darren, what did you make of that?
2: Uh, basically, it was exactly what I expected him to say, and and what I thought he would say. And it, it was really nice to hear somebody who sounds less excited to watch this Newcastle side than I am tomorrow, um, <laughs> because they, they, it sounds like it sounds like very uh, attritional stuff, and that that really kind of. Um, matches with with my observations of them over the course of the, I mean I haven't watched a lot of them over the season because you know why would you but um but, but yeah that they, they it it matches up with what I expected to hear basically How about you Tom? I've never heard anyone so sad
3: of, of all the guests we've had <laughs> <laughs> about the, about their team he just sounded so depressed I I actually lived with a Newcastle fan last year so I watched quite a few of their games um and I can tell I can understand why he felt like well sounded like he did they're just absolutely awful aren't they mm. um, I thought my favourite quote was just the, Steve Bruce doesn't really do tactics and I think <laughs> that's probably fair like you watch his teams you get the impression that he doesn't coach attacking he just coaches two blocks of four or what I think is it or yeah a four two four, four and a five
2: is that not a tactic it's a, <laughs> that's, a ta- that's a tactic isn't oh, it
3: it's not a pure tactic like Bielsa Darren <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I just you watch someone that's like I just don't think they know how to attack, and that's like with these I always either get a lot more negative, um, and think we're going to lose, or I get a lot more positive, and this actually made me feel a lot better <laughs> because I just I just don't think they know how to actually score, so yeah, it sh- we should be
2: fine, hopefully. I'm really glad that Sam San Maximum's going to be out because I think he he is the sort of player that could cause us problems, and and um, I think when I, when I saw him play for them last year, I think I thought that his decision making was the worst of any Premier League player I've ever seen. But I think I think he has really settled into the league and it it just his pace and trickery will always cause teams problems. So if he's out I'm happy.
1: Yeah, I suppose it's a, a reality that if your team isn't really coached in terms of attacking routines, then you rely heavily on moments and yeah. Yeah. and that means that you then rely heavily on any player who can be creative in any way so i've already interviewed the um the guy who's gonna do our manchester united um preview and i got the same impression with them you know they're only as reliant they're as reliant on their most creative players on the field uh, in order to be to be dangerous and i think that's quite interesting i mean t- even talking to the manchester united fan um he was saying we don't really have a tactical system We just have whichever system suits the best player we have on the pitch at any one time. Uh, And I'm sure that will come into play um, against Newcastle. It will will be very much who is their most dangerous player and how can they facilitate that player to get into the most dangerous positions. And I think everyone would probably agree that that most dangerous player is probably going to be Callum Wilson. So um, with that in mind, what do do we make of the way that, that Bruce will probably set up tomorrow?
3: Well, another thing that um, JP said is like against like Southampton, they struggled to play through with, like they pressed and they struggled to get the ball to him. So I think it might be quite easily to I sort of isolate Wilson. Um, they might be reliant on hitting the ball over the top to him and just hoping he can kind of similar to what Jimenez did for, um, against Wolves, um, and I think we we've seen that in other games. I think the one that strikes me i don't know why is the west brom game from like 2 years ago when we beat them 4-0 that if we just if the ball doesn't get to their strikers they couldn't do anything so i think just like pre- pressing them um stopping them passing at the back might just be the best way to counter wilson
2: but are we looking at a 4-4-2 do you think um because i think that they have switched to that system in the last last couple of games have not have not they? but they but they've definitely played a 5 at the back in in other games against teams with a lot of attacking threat um Chelsea and Southampton and Everton I think they played a, a five at the back didn't they so um I'd, it'd be interesting to see whether what you know which which version they come out with really and I suppose the other question that plays into that is what what their player availability is given given the recent COVID travails that they've had up there so I'm, I'm, I i don't really know what, what what I expect to see them do tomorrow uh for, just purely in which players and what formation the play i think i think in terms of style of play, I think I know exactly what we're going to see but but it's just in terms of personnel really
1: yeah, I guess the 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 two things I'd say here is one as as j p said in the in the interview, they've played four, four, two, and one, um so that might be enough to convince um bruce to to play that formation yeah. again. We'll get a good yeah. sense of i think how good Bruce thinks leads are. If he comes out in a four 4 2 he'll reckon that he should be winning the game. And if he comes out in a back five, then he's probably uh, a little bit more hesitant about it. And um, yeah. the the other thing I would say is that, yeah, we've mentioned the COVID scenario at Newcastle. Um, I suppose it makes sense then that they probably would play a back four if they are struggling to have enough fit centre-backs as yeah. a practical reality. So um, all of those things come into play. But I, I suppose the... the, the op- the possibility is there that either of those two um, systems are used. So, if they do come out in a four-four-two, we will probably come out in a three-three-one-three. Yeah. The only other time we did that this season was against Crystal Palace, and we looked awful <sighs> in that formation. Some of that, I think, comes down to the fact that when we play a three-three-one-three, we are we are almost pushed into having Dallas as a right wing back and Alioski as a left wing back, and as we saw at the weekend that's maybe not the best um, for our build-up play, um, having those two on the field in those um, in those situations, in those positions. So um, what are the worries that we have, uh, Darren, coming out in the 3-3-1-3? Do you have any worries about that? Was the Crystal Palace game just a one-off, or do you think that because Palace pressed us quite heavily in the wide areas and Newcastle I don't think probably will, that we might get away with it?
2: Yeah, I I, th- I think the, the the two worries that I have when we play play the the three three one three formation there are yeah the wing backs I think are a big problem and I I, I would really if we're going to play that formation I'd really like to see Dallas play the left wing back role and Shackleton play the right wing back role rather than bringing Alioski in to play on the left because I th- I think that. Um, Shackleton's just much, much tidier in build up. He's, his decision making's a lot better. He makes much more intelligent movements and runs. Um and and he's got the kind of ability to, to kind of cover the whole pitch in the same way that, that Alioski has. Um, so that's that's one worry. I think the other worry that we that we sometimes see when we play that role is getting enough of our creative players on the pitch at the same time. Um and I, I think that what what you what you'd be likely to see um is um either Click or Rodrigo on the pitch and not both and I think that's one of the advantages when we play the 4-1-4-1 is that you're able to get both of those players in who will push forward and one of them will play the more advanced role whereas I think you kind of by necessity have to take one of the midfield two out for the the 3-3-1-3 which I think leaves a, a really heavy burden on whoever ends up in that more advanced midfield role in front of Calvin Phillips.
1: And I suppose the other option then is that they could play a three-five-two, yeah. Which I think whenever we've come up against it recently, we've just adopted a three-five-two as well, um, which I suppose raises similar sorts of questions. But for me, the bigger issue in those situations, because you end up with your your sort of wing backs doing a lot of defensive work, just covering the the opposition's wing backs. I don't worry about it so much as I do against about the three-three-one-three. Three, three. Yeah, but we. In terms of uh, having two strikers or in a pressing system against a back three, we've been a little bit shonky at times this season. So, um, how do we feel, Tom, about about the option or the possibility of you know playing Harrison as we have done as a sort of second striker in the pressing system? I'd
3: much rather see Rodrigo there uh, personally. I just have, I think as well I'd, I'd like to see Harrison play sort of have a run of games on the bench because I don't think he's looked very strong recently. I think Rodriguez always looks pretty good when he's played that role, um, but yeah, it's it's a difficult one because then it doesn't sort of fit with the pattern of what we've seen in the past from uh, depending on the opposition set up. So, um, yeah, for me, I'd rather just I'd rather see Rodrigo do that if, if possible,
1: assuming that we will be playing in some sort of back three. I guess there is the option. I think they played against. Chelsea in a in a back five with just a lone striker, uh, but as as JP said, it sounds as though um, Bruce is pretty desperate to get both Wilson and Joe Linton on the field at the yeah. same time. Um, so I'm I'm assuming a front two. That means that we're going to have to have a front a back three. So what back three iterations do you think we'll have, Darren?
2: Uh, I, I I think it would be Ailing at the right centre back. I think Cooper would play the central centre back, and I think um, Strike would play the the left. The left goal and I, I, I'm keen on that uh, personally because I'm a, I'm a big fan of strike. But also, I think because he's he's one of our bigger players. I think he's the only player that's taller than Cooper. I think he gives us that ex- added presence from from those really dangerous oh. dead ball situations we talked about earlier. So that's what I'd be hoping to see. Um, but yeah, we'll just have to see.
1: So three three one three. Then we'd have Calvin Phillips as the as the the pivot. Um, we've talked about the the wing backs situation. Um, I guess the the question then is who who's a front three and who's going to be playing just behind them, Tom? Who would you put in those four positions?
3: So Bamford up top, um, easy one. I think Rafinha as well. Oh,
1: this is the other that? problem with the, 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 <laughs> the, the three three one three is that you have to drop one of the midfielders. I
3: think, click.
1: Oh God. It's, Mate, I'm gonna just—I've
3: just made this up on the spot. This might sound stupid, so I'm gonna say Rafinha left and Rodrigo right. Is that wow. a, can I go for that?
1: That sounds very uh, Facebook Leeds fan to me. Yeah, <laughs> I,
3: think I, I just think cause I, I do—I would quite like Rodrigo to play, and I just don't think this. I don't really want any of the other wingers on the pitch, <laughs> even though it's like the only position where we've got actual depth. I just think I'd. I'll give it a go. It probably won't work, and we'll have to get Hernandez on to try and fix it anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. How about you, Darren? What do you make of that? I I think we'll we'll end up
2: seeing yeah, click play the more advanced midfield role with Bamford playing as a striker, and um, what what I anticipate we'll see, although I don't necessarily necessarily want to see, it, is I think we will see a continuation of Harrison on the left and Rafinha on the right, um, because mm. because. Bielsa's faith in Harrison seems unshakable um, and I, I think that the one thing that we must never forget about Harrison for, for all that he can be frustrating in attacking situations and that his decision making drives me mental and that sometimes his his crossing is really poor is that in terms of supporting the build-up down the left I think when, when we do build up down that side he can be pretty good and I, I think that his, his defensive work really should does go unnoticed but shouldn't albeit he did give away that stupid corner for the first uh, West Ham goal the other day.
1: But but um
2: that's what I think we'll see.
1: And then assuming that we potentially come out in a three five two ourselves, that means that I guess with the wing back situation you could play Harrison as one of the wing backs yeah. on the left and then Dallas uh, over on the um, Dallas over on the right, maybe, maybe even just held the coster. I don't know. But then it does at least give free you up with another midfielder. So you'd have Phillips um click and and rodrigo there if you wanted uh, yeah. alternatively if if obviously harrison is playing on the left as a wing back then you could push rodrigo forward and have dallas as as a central midfielder and put yeah. shackleton as as a right wing back but yeah. what what are your thoughts on that
2: yeah i i th- it's it's one of those where i think what we would be more likely to see is i think we'd see dallas moving into the central area and 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 shackleton move onto the onto the right um but you know in 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 truth you you could do it either way couldn't you you could play dallas as the right wing back and play shackleton in the middle and that that would work just fine um from from the midfield point of view but i think i think i think dallas when he plays as a, as a wing back can can get isolated and can mean, I mean pressings not necessarily going to be an issue but but sometimes in build up he can he can be a bit sloppy and, or a bit hesitant and and we often lose a bit of momentum when he, when he's got the ball uh and, and people are coming towards him. He doesn't seem to be able to, to break the press uh, or break break pressure in, in the same way that some of the other players
1: can. Uh, so the question that I ask every week, and I know Tom Woodhead gets upset if I don't ask this, is uh, which players are we expecting good performances from? Um, Tom Alderson, who needs to play well against Newcastle for us to uh, prosper against them?
3: I think one of those four attacking players is probably going to have to create something. Assuming we set up it that way. um, Because... Well, we've seen this many times. If the team sits deep, we're just kind of relying on moments. Um, so yeah, don't know what one or two of them just needs. I'd, I'd like Rafinha to have a a long, not just like twenty minutes or thirty minutes of a game. I'd like to see him have a sort of long, just a, a full good game um, if possible.
2: Darren, how about you? I think if if is on the pitch, he needs to play well because I think the the one thing that that I haven't seen from him yet is, is his ability to really influence a game where the defend where the opposition defenders sitting deep and killing the space. And we we really need him to to start doing that to make it, to make a difference in those games. Um, I think in terms of like the the burden on Rafinha at the moment already feels quite heavy that, that if he's not going to create something then then nobody is so i think i'd like i'd like whoever plays on the other wing to really step up and 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 start creating some dangerous situations um and also i think click has been a little bit off off in the last couple of games so i think we we really do need him to play well for the team to function properly i think um mm. so i think he's the other one that i'd highlight
1: so how are we expecting the game to unfold on wednesday darren
2: I had a quick look at Newcastle's stats this morning and I noticed that they've conceded seven goals in the last 15 minutes of, of, of games this season, which is almost half their total. So what I'm, what I'm expecting to see is that they'll be, they'll be resolute and they'll try and nick a goal. You know, they'll do, they'll do the, the Steve Bruce thing. But I do think there is more potential for us being able to move them around than, than some of the other teams we've faced. I, I think that when, when I, I watched the, the West Brom game this morning, and although, yeah, that you know they, they they did defend pretty well, there were a number of occasions where where West Brom were able to create space in really dangerous areas. So, I think I I think what the the, the late goals conceded thing with Newcastle tells you is not necessarily that they they are unfit or that they that they lose shape uh, lose fitness in the last fifteen minutes, but more that the kind of concentration of trying to hold teams back for for that long eventually catches up with them. So I I I, I what I'm hoping to see, uh, or what I think we'll see is that, that we we'll we'll really take over the game in the last fifteen minutes and, and I think we'll 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 grab something then. I think other than that it'll be a game that that feels like we're on top for a lot of it, but we're actually not creating as many chances as you think we
1: might for the level of possession and, and uh and territory that we've got. I'm feeling quietly confident about this game. Not because I think that we'll definitely win, but because I think if we play the sort of football we usually play and they play the sort of football they usually play, then we should we should be comfortably better than them. So yeah. um, I don't know whether or not that's, that, that caveat takes anything away from it because, you know, anything can happen. And I thought, to be honest, I thought we would play better than we did against West Ham. Um, so I'd take what I say with a pinch of salt. But Tom Alderson, how do you expect? Do you agree with, with Darren on how he expects the game to unfold?
3: Yeah, I completely agree with everything Darren said. Then um, I f- another thing that I thought might come into that is if they are down on numbers because of COVID, um, is their fitness going to be even worse, or are the yeah the players going to be more tired than than usual? So yeah, I completely agree. I think we're just going to see us just plugging away, and I'm just I think I think we should be able to get a win out of this. I just they don't worry me going forward, and I think we should have enough to break them down.
1: Yeah, and it's a funny situation because a lot of Leeds fans are feeling the doom and gloom at the moment. But, you know, we're a couple of wins away from 20 points, which is easily over half. of of what you'd expect and before we've hit the halfway mark so I think we're well on schedule to to do okay this season I think it's just a case of these games you need to come away like Newcastle at home is going to be one of our easiest games this season so I think it's really important that we come away with with a win on this one um but yeah it's also one of those things where if if you do lose this game then suddenly you leads are in a slump and um um, those sorts of questions are raised as well, but as, as I've said all the way through this season, it's we, we went through runs of form in in the last couple of seasons because we were a team who were playing at the top of the table. You had to yeah. you had to win all of your games, and if you didn't win a couple, it was bad. And you know, it was all about getting stringing together momentum and, and runs of, of, of points winning games. I, I feel as though things are slightly different in the in the Premier League. I think it's a little bit more tactical. It has to be a little bit more. You know, identifying the games where you should be getting points from, and, and not being too disappointed when you lose to sides who are in the top six, top top ten. Yeah, um, and that's where it's going to come down to. We're going to stay up in this division because we beat teams like Newcastle, not because we lose to teams like um, uh, West Ham, for example. So yeah, I think um, it's a big game, uh, but I think there's a lot to be a lot to be positive about, and it's not worth throwing in the towel quite yet. <laughs> anyway that's our preview of the of the Newcastle game for Wednesday um, if you like what we do then you want to try and see more of it we do have a patreon channel which has bonus content for for subscribers we put up video analyses up there we put up bonus podcasts we are going to run a christmas live stream next tuesday um at eight o'clock so if that sounds fun for you we can we'll we'll do a basically stream a live podcast ish but you guys can be in the chat ask us questions as we go uh, have your say in in the episode a little bit more so if that sounds interesting to you head over to www.patreon.com patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and just uh, a little bit of housekeeping we're changing the schedule up a little bit over Christmas so we're going to try and keep the Christmas week pretty free for us uh, because we're all people who do this in our spare time so we would enjoy a week off um what we're gonna, the way we're going to go around doing that is by having a we're gonna have a double preview episode looking forward to the um, Burnley and West Brom games and then we'll we do that before Christmas week and then we'll do a double review of those two games after Christmas week as well so you have that to look forward to um, we'll be back on Thursday with a review episode of the Newcastle game but we will be also squeezing in the preview of the Manchester United game in that episode as well so that'll be a bit of a bumper for you to look forward to and then we'll have the Manchester United review um, on I guess Monday because that game's on Sunday so that's basically how the rest of the month is panning out uh, lots going on lots to look forward to um, but all that remains for me to do is to say thank you Tom thank you very much and thank you Darren cheers and and we'll see you on Thursday